This is going to be part two of uh, what began last week, looking at the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. Before we read the scripture again this morning, let's turn to the Lord and ask him to bless the reading and hearing of his word. Uh, Please pray with me in the silence of your hearts. Our Lord and our God, now as we hear your word proclaimed, fill us with your spirit. Soften our hearts that we may delight in your presence. Sharpen our minds that we may discern your truth. Shape our wills that we may desire your ways. For we pray these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Acts chapter 1 verses 4 through 11 Hear the word of the Lord, it is written. And while staying with them, that is Jesus with his disciples, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Last Sunday, we began looking at these verses from Acts chapter 1, focusing in on Jesus' instruction to wait in Jerusalem until the disciples had received the promised Holy Spirit, at which time they would go out in power as his witnesses. That was the what and the when of his commission to his disciples in verses 4 through 11. This morning, we want to focus on the geographical scope of this commission, or the where and to whom he calls his disciples to go. And we find this clearly stated in verse 8. And note here that these are Jesus' final words to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. These are the words that are very intentionally left ringing in their ears but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria and to the end of the earth so jesus commands his disciples to go forth and there was to be an order to their going beginning right where they were at the moment and then moving outwards from there to the very end of the earth this was an order which would be followed as the disciples sought to fulfill this commission 
As some have said of Acts 1.8, then it serves as a table of contents for the book of Acts. So we will see in Acts chapters 1 through 7 the preaching of the gospel in Jerusalem. And then Acts chapter 8 verse 1, we find the gospel expanding beyond Jerusalem as the disciples are scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And this will continue through the 12th chapter. And finally, after the conversion of Saul in the 9th chapter of Acts and his subsequent missionary journeys, Luke will record the expansion of the gospel throughout the Roman world in Acts chapters 13 through 28. So as we acknowledged last week, the kingdom of God was much larger than just the kingdom of Israel. What Jesus was commanding his disciples was to be agents of a worldwide geographical expansion of Christianity. And this was in accordance with the testimony of the Old Testament. You see, through the prophet Isaiah, God said that Israel would be restored to be a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And what we find in the disciples are the true restored Israel sent forth to fulfill this mission, giving witness to who God is in Jesus Christ in order that the world might know of the love and grace and mercy and justice and righteousness of God, that they might repent of their sins, place their faith in him and be saved. And ultimately, the gospel goes forth that God would be acknowledged as God, that his name would be exalted and honored as holy as we pray at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, and that he would be glorified in all the earth. This is what the Psalms say, as do the prophets. This is the testimony of God's word. In this way, the end of the disciples being sent out The end of mission is always worship. In the gospel going out, the nations are called to bow down before the Lord and worship him as God. But it was according to God's sovereign design and his electing purpose that this mission must begin with Israel. It was with Israel that God had made his covenant. It was through them that God had promised to bless all the earth. So the Apostle Paul acknowledges the priority of the Jews in this sending forth of the gospel when he states, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel was meant to be proclaimed among Israel, But it was not meant to remain with Israel. And we see this in this commission in Acts 1.8. Nor would the Gentiles be saved in any different way than the Jews. Salvation comes by way of faith in Jesus Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. Therefore, there would be no distinction between Jew and Gentile when it came to salvation. So we see God's promises being fulfilled in this commission given to Jesus' disciples. But we need to recognize here that when we find at the end of Acts the gospel reaching Rome, the commission didn't end. 
Rome was seen as an end of the earth, but it wasn't viewed as the end-all, be-all. In fact, we will see in the final verse of Acts chapter 28, it has the Apostle Paul in Rome proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is how Acts ends, which, as one commentator put it, suggests that the story has not reached its final destination. The witness continues. And we have been beneficiaries of this continued witness. We should recognize that in ways we are the Gentiles at the end of the earth to whom the gospel message has come. It is through the faithful work of the followers of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit giving witness to the risen Lord Jesus Christ that God has ordained that we be here today on the other side of the world from Jerusalem gathered as his people worshiping him. But we should also recognize that as recipients of this gospel, as those who have been by God's grace saved through faith in the hearing of the gospel message, we are also entrusted with the continuation of this work of spreading the gospel message through our witness. In other words, this commission in Acts 1.8 is not just for the apostles. It is for all who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We are all called to be witnesses. And we likewise are sent out as witnesses. This was Jesus' prayer for his church in John chapter 17. He prays to his heavenly Father, As you sent me into this world, so I send them into the world. It wasn't just a prayer that applied to his disciples in the first century, nor was it only meant for those who are called as missionaries, as we traditionally think of them, as those who are set apart by God in the church with a particular calling to proclaiming the gospel, especially by way of crossing natural and cultural borders. No, his whole church is sent to give witness to him, proclaiming the gospel and modeling his life for the world. What Jesus prayed is that in the same way that he embodied God's mission, God's sending of himself, into the world, so are we to embody Jesus Christ in our living in the world. God's mission, in other words, has a church, and it's us. This is very basic to the Christian life. This is why Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian here either is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. So this morning, it isn't just important for us to see that Jesus called his apostles to go and bear witness in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, but it's important to see that he calls us to do the same. And certainly, the context has changed pretty dramatically. He was very literally calling them to give witness in these particular geographical regions. And this specific instruction was specific to that context. So we aren't all to move to Jerusalem. But that doesn't mean that the, these geographic regions don't have symbolic meaning for us today. So our challenge is to consider what is our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria? What is the end of the earth for us today? 
If we are going to obey Jesus' command to us, then we must understand what the commission given in Acts 1-8 means for us today. And so we begin where the disciples were called to begin, in Jerusalem. And it makes sense for them to begin in this region, not only because Jerusalem was the capital of the Jewish nation, but it was also, very simply, where they were currently. They had followed Jesus to Jerusalem. It was where Jesus had been condemned and crucified. It was also where he had been resurrected. And it was where they had been spending time with him, continuing to learn from him after his resurrection. It was where they had been commanded to wait until the Holy Spirit came upon them after his ascension. So simply put, Jerusalem was a city where they were residing. It was their local community at that point. And our Jerusalem is where God has us in this current moment. It is our local community. It is Monroe, West Monroe, Calhoun, Sterlington, wherever it is that you live and work. And what the commission, this commission in Acts 1-8 means for us is that we have a responsibility to serve as witnesses for Jesus Christ in our local community. I love what Reformed pastor and author R. Kent Hughes wrote concerning our call to our local community. He states this, there can be no burden for distant, unreached peoples without a burden for unreached neighbors. There can be no burden for distant, unreached peoples without a burden for unreached neighbors. Now, when we think of mission work, we might most commonly think of work done in far-off foreign places, places that require a plane ride of several hours to get to. We might think of people Groups living in remote villages, hidden deep in jungles, on secluded islands, nestled on the side of mountains on the other side of the globe, only accessible by foot or by boat. We might not recognize that the mission Jesus gives to each of us as his people might require no more than for us to walk out of our home, up the walkway to our next door neighbor's front door. In fact, it does require this. So let me ask you, do, do you know the names of your neighbors? You know their names? Are your neighbors Christian? Do they have a church home where they worship regularly? And if the answer is no to any of those questions, then your Jerusalem is right next door to your house. It's also the, your place of employment at your gym, at the country club, among friends you visit with regularly, in the grocery store you frequent. These are all places in which we can befriend people and do what we call relational evangelism. Get to know people. Listen to their stories. Share with them your story. Tell them what the Lord has done for you. Share Jesus with them. Show Jesus to them. Find opportunities to serve them. Invite them to church. Call them to faith in Jesus Christ. This is what God calls us to do. And we'll see in Acts that the followers of Jesus were always looking for an opportunity to give witness to Jesus Christ, whether it be in the marketplace, in places of learning, in common areas where people gathered for fellowship, in private homes, in prison, before governing officials. We see them developing relationships with people that God puts in their path. 
And it's through these relationships that the gospel is advanced and God's kingdom is expanded. And I know that this might be uncomfortable for us. And just because we are in a familiar place doesn't mean it's easy for us to give witness here. It isn't always easy befriending new people, not to mention sharing with them your faith. That can be a very uncomfortable thing. And perhaps it's all the more difficult to do this with people we know. But as R. Kent Hughes encourages us, too often we are overly concerned about personal comfort. If the Christian faith is worth believing at all, it is worth believing heroically. And we should consider here the shock of the apostles that they must have felt being called to give witness in a place where Jesus had in the past month or so been arrested, beaten, and crucified. So there were unique challenges that they faced in Jerusalem. There were those in that very place who held a very deep resistance to the message that these apostles sought to share. And maybe there are unique challenges that face us in our local community. But in the power of the Spirit, the apostles did not allow fear to control them. But in the joy of Christ living in them, they provided a bold witness to him that all they encountered would experience this resurrected Jesus. And we're called to do the same. Before we move on from Jerusalem, we should also acknowledge that sometimes we forget that our closest neighbors don't require us to leave home at all. Every time we do a baptism here at Covenant, you hear Pastor John or me say that the Great Commission begins in our homes. It begins with our children. Scripture is very clear that this is our first and greatest priority. Parents, we have no greater responsibility than the evangelism of our children. This is our first Jerusalem. And dearly beloved, I think that the state of our country today reveals that the church in America has largely failed in this regard. It's the only explanation for how we are where we are currently as a nation, which has rejected Christian values and continues to move further and further away from them at what seems to be an ever-increasing pace. It isn't that Christians are failing to have children. I don't think that I am mistaken when I say that Christians are, by and large, having more children than our non-Christian peers. So why is it that we are where we are as a nation? And I think that the answer is simple. We have failed not only to evangelize, but we have also failed to evangelize our very own children to pass on our faith to them, speaking generally here. If we have not been intentional in the discipleship of our children, then we have instead given them over to be proselytized by the world. They have been converted to the ways of the world through the media they are exposed to, through the friends they hang around with, through the formal education they are receiving. The list goes on and on. They have countless things seeking their attention, toying with their emotions, demanding their submission, manipulating their thought patterns. We cannot, therefore, be lackadaisical in our approach to raising our children. And Scripture doesn't allow for it. We are instructed to tell our children about the Lord and His commandments. As Deuteronomy 6 states, you shall teach them diligently to your children. 
You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. In every aspect of our lives, we are to be evangelizing our children. This is included as a priority in the commission given to us in Acts 1.8. And parents, I can tell you this if you are willing to hear me. There is nothing that the Lord is calling you to that will compromise this task. His will for you does not involve anything that would have you neglect this calling because God does not contradict his revealed will for us as expressly stated in his word. If he has blessed you with children, then he has given you this priority. It is your Jerusalem. You are not to pass go. You are not to collect $200 until you have attended to it. And I know how easy it is to see huge need out there and think it's ours to handle. To see a task and and see it as an opportunity to better our community for the sake of our children. But if we want to have a nation that has Christian values in the future, then there is no other thing that we have where we can have a greater impact than the discipleship of our children. And think about it. If every family in America that proclaims the name of Jesus Christ did this, then we would see our country turn around in one generation because our country would become overwhelmingly Christian. This is the means given from the very beginning of creation to establish God's rule, his dominion, and all the earth, that we would be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth and subdue it. And certainly God calls his church to move out beyond the local community they are rooted in. They, there is a call to, to witness in all of Judea as well, to the nation around us. And beloved, we can no longer live under the illusion of Christendom here in America. If we're being honest with ourselves, then we will admit that our nation is post Christian. And the reality is that our nation, which was sending our missionaries from our churches to evangelize the unreached peoples of the world, has now become a nation which is receiving missionaries from some of those very same people groups. They've come to evangelize us. And here's why. If the unchurched people in America were their own nation, It would be the eighth most populous nation in the entire world. And this number is only growing. I saw a statistic recently that stated that one in five college students have never stepped foot in a church. But I think this number is inaccurate because a few years ago, I heard the statistic for the number of school-aged children who had never stepped foot in a church. And I can't remember the exact number. I just remember being jolted by it. It was enormous. And the mission professor who told me this said the sadder reality is the percentage of schools that have a church right across the street from them. Our children are going to school every day with a church right across the street, and an enormous number of them have never stepped foot in a church. What it means is that we have a clear task ahead of us within our own national borders. And the opportunities abound for us to give witness to Christ right here in our own country as we travel for work and pleasure. 
as we serve in mission doing disaster relief after hurricanes or other natural disasters, as we move to new communities to find work or further our education, as we seek to meet the needs of those around us, whether it be feeding the hungry or caring for the sick and aging, providing educational opportunities. As one Christian author put it, the church of Jesus Christ is God's missile of salt and light hurled into the world to proclaim the triumphant message of sins forgiven and lives transformed. It is a missile that our own nation desperately needs to feel the impact of now more than ever. And certainly, we want to be salt and light wherever we go, in our city, our state, our nation, or beyond. But shifting now from our Jerusalem and our Judea, it's important that we not fail to understand these last two parts of the commission, to be witnesses to Samaria and to the end of the earth. I want to, in some regards, take these two together because both of them represent going to those who are not like us. We will notice that Samaria is perhaps put with Judea in Acts 1.8. And the reason is that because Samaria really was a part of the geographical area of the nation of Israel. So in going to Judea, they were not to neglect Samaria. The instruction is clear because as I think we are well aware, the Samaritans were viewed very negatively by the Jews. They were regarded as impure ethnically religiously and culturally. But when Jesus Christ came, he tore down every dividing wall. He removed every division. He ministered in scandalous ways to the Samaritans, as we see in places like John 4, which is the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. He offered staggering parables, like the parable of the Good Samaritan, teaching us that our neighbor, who we are called to love and serve, is the very one who previously was despised seen as our enemy, was different than us. And it's all leading to this place here in Acts 1-8 where he instructs his disciples to go to them. Give witness to the Samaritans that they too may believe and be saved. They were not to be excluded any longer. And it's a call for us today that we are to go and give witness to those who are unlike us and even to those with whom there has previously been hostility. Because as those who have received the gospel, we have become ambassadors of reconciliation in Jesus Christ, as the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians. He instructs them, so now, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And so what he says here is that our focus is not to be on differences in ethnicity or culture or anything else. It is on our universal condition of sin, our need for reconciliation, the saving work of God in Jesus Christ, and the task of those who have been saved by grace through faith, who have been reconciled to God in Jesus Christ. The task is for them to go forth as those who seek the reconciliation of others. The reality is that we are all brought low before the cross of Jesus Christ. All of us, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all, therefore, in desperate need of a Savior, which means there is urgency in this message we bear to go not just to those who are like us, but to everyone. 
No human contrived boundary should stop us from sharing the message that God has in his great love provided us all a means of salvation by which our sins can be forgiven and our lives reconciled to him. So Acts 1.8 is instructing all believers to see it as their duty in Christ to cross over any and all divisions for the sake of the gospel. Whether they be ethnic, cultural, financial, religious, or anything else. And it shouldn't be hard for us to identify those who live among us who are different than us, with whom there might once have been hostility or even with whom hostility still exists. But Scripture is very, very clear that the gospel simply doesn't allow for continued hostility, hatred, anger, division, etc., to remain in the hearts of believers. And so we should be asking ourselves, what we are doing to reach out and give witness to those who are different than us in our community, in our state, and in our nation. Are there intentional steps we are taking to do this? Are we looking for opportunities to give witness to people unlike us who are among us? And even as the call of Jesus is to go to the end of the earth, we should not neglect and recognize that the nations have been brought to us. We don't even have to leave our community to interact with those who are very different from us. Don't miss that before the apostles went to the end of the earth as witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God brought the nations to them on the day of Pentecost, as we will soon see. So I sincerely hope that we wouldn't fail to recognize and take advantage of opportunities to minister to the nations right here, right in our own community. ULM, for instance, brings the nations to us. Personally, I was shocked when I heard of how many students there are at ULM from nations like Nepal. I've been to Nepal. It is literally on the other side of the globe. And these young men and women live right here in our community. And they will go back one day to their own country. Now think about the impact of the gospel in their lives, the impact that the gospel would have in just one of their lives, but in all of the lives of those they will come in contact with when they go back to Nepal. And they're longing for an American experience. So invite them. Invite them into your homes. Invite them over for a meal. Invite them into your lives. Invite them into this church. But we should also recognize that the command is to go to the ends of the earth. As long as there are people who haven't heard the gospel, God's people are commanded to go to them. They are the end of the earth. Currently in the world, there are 3.2 billion, with a B, people representing over 7,400 people groups who are completely unreached by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means they haven't heard it at all. That's around 42% of the world's population has had no exposure to the gospel. And that doesn't mean that every Christian is called to go to the end of the earth. Not every Christian in Acts will leave his or her home like the apostle Paul did. Not every Christian is set aside for this specific purpose, but we are all called as God's people to participate in his mission. 
And we can do mighty things for the spread of the gospel to the end of the earth through supporting missionaries who do have that calling, praying for them, caring for them, providing financial resources for them. And we see churches in Acts doing this very thing. But I also think that we can let ourselves off the hook pretty easily with that reasoning. We all think that someone else has been called to this task. And so let me ask you all this. Have you ever sought to discern the calling from the Lord to go to the end of the earth yourself? Have you ever opened your heart to that possibility? Have you ever placed yourself before the Lord in prayer and asked him if you are to go to see if he lays that burden on you? It really might be that this is a task the Lord has given to one of you. Regardless, what we can be sure of is this, that the Lord calls us to go and give witness to him somewhere. Whether it is our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, or to the end of the earth, this passage ends with Jesus ascending into heaven and the disciples glaring up into the clouds, but suddenly two heavenly messengers appear and offer them a gentle rebuke. Quit standing around. Quit wishing that Jesus had remained with you. Quit standing around waiting for his return. Get on with what he has called you to do. Go and give witness. As John Stott stated, it was the earth, not the sky, which was to be their preoccupation. Their calling was to be witnesses, not stargazers. The vision they were to cultivate was not upwards in nostalgia to heaven, which had received Jesus, but outwards in compassion to a lost world in need of him. It is the same for us. So let us get on with our task of giving witness to the risen Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacred privilege of being your people, a holy priesthood which has been called to give witness to you here in our local community, here in our state, here in our nation, and even to the end of the earth. And Lord, I pray that we would seek your Spirit's guidance on the ways in which we might go the ways in which we might give witness. Lord, I pray that you would remove from us any spirit of fear or timidity. But Lord, that you would send us forth in the power of your spirit, that we would go boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, that people might hear. And in hearing, they might believe, and in believing, they might be saved. Lord, I pray that you would ever place this as a burden on our hearts. Lord, that it's not enough that we are saved, that it's not enough that our husband or wife is saved or our children are saved, but Lord, that our neighbors need to hear the gospel message as well. So Lord, send us forth as your people to accomplish your will for your church. For we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Philippian Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God 